0: Well, I'd like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 18 this morning, beginning in verse 35. You'll find that on page 878 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. And uh, we will, as is our custom, just be working our way verse by verse this morning, considering God's Word and applying it to our lives. And I'm looking forward to uh, what God has to speak to us today. I want to let you know, um, as you're finding your way to Luke, that... uh, Uh, this will be our last sunday in luke for a little while uh, that we are beginning next week going to start our summer sermon series and uh, you'll be happy to know that we will be studying the book of leviticus uh this summer and um i tell you uh, i i am so excited uh to study and consider leviticus with you in fact i I i'm I'm am excited enough to make up for your lack of excitement uh, to study the book of Leviticus. It has already done a powerful and uh, I think a, a transformative work in my life, just in my studies of it. And I trust that God is going to work mightily through it. Um, I, I be, to be per, you know, sometimes I exaggerate. I don't know if you realize that, but I, I'm being totally honest here uh, in saying um, that I've I have not been more excited. Study a book um, uh, recently than I am in Leviticus. I can't wait. So, uh, next week, um, I don't know what you need to do to get through the summer, sleep in, whatever you need to do, but uh, I'll be here and uh, delighting in God's Word. So, we find ourselves here in Luke chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 35. Hear now the Word of God. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word and ask that You would now by Your Spirit come and help us to understand it. And in understanding it, understand You. Know You. Be more conformed to the image of Your Son because of it. We pray for this work through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Allegra and I, um, usually every evening, uh, we like to catch up on what's gone on in the world that day we watched the news every evening together almost uh, maybe four or five times uh, a week I don't know if you watched the news recently it's kind of interesting the first 10 minutes um, typically these days cover uh, our president's tweets and then the next 10 minutes they actually do news and then at the end of the broadcast there's always this this human interest story to make you feel good right because everything up to that point's been terrible and uh, so you feel good when, and usually, to be honest, I just I just turn it off by the time the human interest story comes on. But it was a couple uh, weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, that we actually watched it all the way to the end. And I, I did feel better after I saw it, to be honest. It was this story of uh, a man who was probably close to 70 years old and had been colorblind his entire life. And uh, all uh, uh, severely colorblind. All he saw was blacks and grays and whites. And his family, his chilled, grown children, his grandchildren all gathered around. He was sitting outside in the, on the grass lawn and they gave them a gift. And he opened the gift and it was a pair of glasses. And so he was somewhat confused why his children were giving him a pair of glasses. And they encouraged him to put the glasses on. And he put the glasses on and, and within a, a half a second he ripped the glasses off his face and started this man started to weep you see they've developed this technology somehow that this man who's been colorblind his whole life is now able to see for the first time color and he went back and forth he put him on and he looked around for a second and then he took it off. he couldn't take it couldn't take it all in and everyone's crying and hugging and by the way the man has been his whole life a gardener and uh, now he could actually see the majesty of what God has made. He was utterly overwhelmed. What's even more amazing is what happened in 1981 when a woman named Anna Penica, who was 62 years old and had been blind from birth, has never seen before, right? Never, never seen the red buds that we all enjoyed this spring or the, the beautiful fluorescent leaves as they come out or the, the blue of the sky. Well, everything changed on October 1981 when at UCLA they removed a rare congenital cataract from her left eye, and for the first time in her life, she could see. She reported that everything was so much bigger and brighter than she imagined. Interestingly, she immediately recognized her husband and all her family members, but she said her acquaintances were far heavier than she pictured. Right? <laughs> can you imagine, just like the first time, never seen for the first time, you see what a smile looks like, or the, or an uh, the eyes of those you love, or or see what the sun is like and watch it set over the Pacific Ocean. What a blessing, sight is. How many blessings do we take for granted? just simple blessings we all come here able to see. Can you imagine for a moment, you woke up this morning, you could not see. And how that would impact your life. Your life would change forever. And yet, God is so good to us. In fact, we see His goodness even in the life of this man. I want this morning to consider a blind man who met Jesus. I want to not just consider his blindness. I want to consider his sight. His faith. This blind man actually saw reality pretty well, unlike those who followed him. And so consider with me this morning, as we kind of finish up this section in Luke's Gospel, the matter of faith. The blind man's faith, what we want to look at first, number one, the blind man's faith, as we pick up the story in verse 35, reading, as they drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, we find ourselves in Jericho. What this means is Jesus' ministry is almost done at this point. He's lived his life, he's, he's offered his teaching, he's performed his miracles, and he has one work left to do, which we considered a couple weeks ago in our study of Luke And that work was to be done specifically in the city of Jerusalem, which is where he is now headed. And so he's coming on to Jericho, which is an oasis town at the southern end of the Jordan River, where it empties into the Dead Sea. There and 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 Jesus is moving on from Jericho. it would be the last major town uh, that you you would travel through on your way to Jerusalem. It's about about fifteen miles from Jerusalem. Interestingly, Jericho is eight hundred feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about twenty five hundred feet above sea level, built on top of a mountain. And it's about fifteen miles away, and you can very clearly see it. This You see this 12-hour walk in front of you. In fact, it's a very popular uh, part of the road. It is, it is these 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem that is the setting of the story we've already considered in our study of Luke's Gospel. The parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a very popular road. And it's even more popular around the Passover, which is quickly approaching here in Luke 18. And so the the fact that this is a popular place and popular amongst the Passover makes it a very good place for begging. You can imagine. I mean, there are many religiously inspired pilgrims passing by and they might be more inclined to give, the, give to those in need. And, and this is why, why we see perhaps this blind man begging along the side of the road. You can imagine how his day would have started, I think, uh, like any other day, waking from his straw bread, tapping his way along the familiar road to find his usual spot outside the city with the other beggars. This man's con- because of his condition... His blindness is totally destitute, right? He is, he is absolutely dependent upon the charity of those passing by in order to survive. There is no government safety net. There is no ministry helping him. He is, he is utterly dependent upon those he encounters. In other words, he's far different than the rich young ruler that we considered earlier in Luke chapter 18. We'll actually see how their outcomes are quite different as well. And so I don't know, it might be helpful for you as we consider this wonderful story to see him even in your mind's eye sitting there, his greasy hair, perhaps shabby, his tattered cloak, uh, wrapped around him to warm off the, the chill of the morning. And there he sits filthy from head to toe as the city begins to come alive and donkeys pull their carts carrying figs and women chatter as they walk to the well to fetch water that morning. And, and this beggar, like those around him, begins to call out for mercy, for alms, for charity. And suddenly this man hears a commotion approaching the city A great crowd is coming, as you see in verse 36. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. Maybe it was the young boys who were shouting their excitement as they ran by first, and then more people hurried past the gate. And finally, he got someone to explain what was happening, what's going on. He asked they answer him in verse 37 Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And it's in response to this uh, explanation that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by that this man utters this amazing cry of faith recorded in verse 38. And those, uh, excuse me, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's in this very simple cry that we see a very profound faith. In fact, I want you to note simply three of the beautiful aspects of this man's faith found there in verse 38. First of all, you see, or that we, we recognize that in faith, he saw Jesus. In faith, he saw Jesus. He does not cry out to him, Jesus of Nazareth, as the crowds had just identified him. But instead, in faith, he cries out, Jesus, Son of David. Now, Son of David is a profound messianic title. You say, well, what do you mean Son of David? Isn't his father Joseph by by adoption? Well, we know in Scripture that when, when David was reigning and had built his incredible palace he thought well god's living in a tent i want to build god a temple i'm going to build god a house and god through the prophet nathan comes to david in second samuel chapter 7 and says no david you're not going to build me a house i'm going to build you a house and by that he means i'm going to build you a family and, and, and in fact, the, uh, the prophet goes on. God speaks to the prophet and says, your, "One of your sons will be sitting upon the throne here in Jerusalem forever, until we finally get to one son who whose reign will never end." And, and even though Babylon soon thereafter came and took all the all the the children of David off the throne of Israel, and and there has not been a, a, a successor from David that have sat on the throne since that time. Still, many people believed in God's promise. In fact, the prophets would come and they would begin to, to clarify more and more what God had promised to do through this son of David. For instance, in Jeremiah 23, God says, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Right? It's the son of David is coming. And an amazing sight, right? This, this blind man who has perhaps heard of Jesus' teaching, certainly there's no doubt that he's heard of Jesus' miraculous activity. This man who's perhaps paid attention to scripture concludes that Jesus is the long promised Messiah. He is this son of David. In fact, you'll be, it, find it interesting to note that the only time in Luke's Gospel in which Jesus is identified as the Son of David is right here by the desperate cry of a blind beggar. Right? <laughs> what a strange way to publicly announce that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Let's get some poor, stinky, right, dirty... Um, blind beggar on the side of the road and we'll make, let him make the announcement. And that's exactly what God uh, uh, does through this man. Is Undoubtedly, his heart begins to pound and his body begins to treble as the crowd's passing by thinking maybe he's already gone. And he begins to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cries to him in faith. And today, hundreds of millions of people from every country echo this man's cry. Have you? Have you cried out to him, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me? What he announced on the road 2,000 years ago, on the road going into Jericho men and women have been announcing for thousands of years. People like a man named Francis Ayul from southern Sudan who recently shared his testimony when he graduated from Scott Theological College in Kenya. He is the only remaining child of 13 children. As a young man, he enlisted in the SPLA to fight the Islamic Army in North Sudan where he would serve for 13 years until he was shot twice in the stomach and left for dead with the rest of his squad. For three days, Francis lied among the dead wondering if he was still alive even as vultures circled above and hyenas yelped from the bushes nearby. On the third day, he held the rifle, his rifle to his head in order to end his misery But before he pulled the trigger as he testifies, he remembered a name that he had heard from his youth. A name forgotten, but a name he recalled at that moment, the name Jesus. And he called out audibly, Jesus, save me. And as those words left his mouth, his comrades three days later emerged from the countryside and found him alive and nursed him back to health his response to jesus work was to enter bible college where he has now graduated and our brother francis Eule has returned to south sudan there to announce that jesus indeed is the son of david he is the messiah do you see jesus as the messiah do you understand him to be the Christ? He is far more than a wise teacher or a miracle worker. He is, as this blind man declared, the Savior, the promised one, the son of David. You see, in faith, he saw Jesus. But there's another aspect of his faith that, in faith, he saw himself. He saw his need, didn't he? He, he asks God for mercy. He asks Jesus for the mercy from him. He doesn't ask Jesus for what he deserves he doesn't say Jesus I've fallen on hard luck or I've been dealt a bad hand I got this blindness you know I kind of deserve a, a hand out no he doesn't come parading really uh, his, his moral pedigree or the the righteous life in which he lives instead he comes as we have learned already in Luke 18 how all have to come like the repentant tax collector Remember his prayer. Jesus, as he beats his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He comes, as Jesus also told us in Luke 18, like a little child, for no man can enter the kingdom of God unless he comes like one of these little ones. And he is coming like that as he calls out for mercy. That's what he wants. Not what he deserves. Not what he's earned. But simply for the mercy of God. And I think in asking for mercy, he is perhaps asking for more than he realizes. There's no doubt, as we'll see in a moment, he's asking for eyesight. But I think in asking for mercy, he is asking for salvation, which we shall see at the end of this story. I think he's asking for what David asked for in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. According to Your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I hope you realize that you too need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy. All of us are in desperate need of this abundant grace. And only Jesus can give it. In fact, not only can He give it, He rejoices in doing so. He delights to give mercy if you would simply ask Him. Even now in your hearts, just... Tune me out and call out, Jesus, be I need mercy. This is what this man understands. So the the crowds are not so happy with all this commotion, as you see in verse 39, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And we're not told why he rebuked them. Perhaps they thought Jesus was not to be bothered by a beggar. But you would think they would have learned that lesson just a little while ago. They tried to keep these children from Jesus. And when Jesus says, no, bring the children. I'm not sure they're disturbed by the commotion or the fact that he's a beggar and doesn't deserve Jesus' attention. I think they're perhaps uncomfortable with the way in which he's addressing Jesus. And perhaps uncomfortable with his use of calling him Jesus, the son of David. That's not how they call him. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, can you imagine this seeing this blind man pitifully crying at the top of his lungs, growing desperate? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And and people yelling, Quiet, beggar. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Will someone shut that beggar up? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. As he we see thirdly, his faith persisted. He would not give up despite the the opposition that is facing Him. You see, Jesus to this man is far more important to Him than the opinions of others. He will not succumb to the pressure of those who want Him to be quiet about His faith. In fact, the fact He shouts it despite this chorus of rebukes shows how convinced He is that Jesus is actually the one who can help Him. I I, I believe persistence is the mark of true belief. I think many people, as we even saw in Luke 8 in the parable of the sower, they may start out professing this faith and then it quickly dies away. Well, this man has this, this persistent faith. In fact, the Lord said in Jeremiah 29, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. And it seems as that, that is what he's doing. He, he wants the blessing of the Lord. He, and therefore, he was going to persist. I wonder, do, do you want God's blessing? Do you want God to work in your life? Then call out to Him persistently. In fact, we end Luke 18, I think, with the real life example of the story that began Luke 18. The real embodiment of the persistent widow. That we should persist in our faith. We should call out to God. We should be vocal about our faith. Even when others want us to be quiet, we should persist. As this man does. He, 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 in, in faith, he sees himself. He sees Jesus. His, he persists. And you might, you might wonder, and certainly I do, how did he get such a faith? How could he see so clearly? Well, certainly his blindness was a terrible condition. Is, There's is no doubt. He's, it's a pitiful sight. Him blind on the roadside begging to survive. It, it is an unbelievable disadvantage that this man had been dealt. But it is not a spiritual one. In fact, Scripture tells us that faith does not come by seeing, right? But by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. See, other people could see Jesus. They, 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 they looked at Him. But the beggar could see Him too with far greater clarity. Right? Because He has put His faith in what He has heard. Someone once asked somewhat bluntly, Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? And she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Right? This blind man, I don't know, perhaps he had more time to think without the distractions of Facebook and the television. And, right? maybe, maybe he had time to consider truth because he wasn't running from here and there. And he, he perhaps knew that when the Messiah come, came, according to Isaiah 35, when He comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the, then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And knowing this, and hearing about the work of Jesus, he concluded that this man must be the Messiah. And I want us to understand that, that we all come to faith in the same way that this man came. We do not come to faith by seeing images in which we believe, but we come to faith through the news in which we hear. Just like Him. And, and I think sometimes our troubles help us to hear. Sometimes hardship carries us into truth. That, that, in fact, hardship helps raise the ultimate questions, don't they? that are somewhat uh, muted when things are going well and we're going 100 miles an hour, but when something uh, difficult comes into our life, there's a, the, the questions of ultimate reality are raised. There's an urgency in seeking those answers. Some of you come into this room with pains and trouble, hardship, sickness, and I don't even begin to imagine as to why those are in your life. But I can tell you this, that God can use those hardships to help you see your need for Him in a far more profound way than if you did not have them. He will teach you that you are not self-sufficient. He will teach you that your only hope is in a gracious and powerful and merciful God. He will show you that you need this God. May those hardships not just simply lead you to despair, but they, may they exalt God in your life as you draw close to Him through it. Simply, certainly as this blind man did. Well, we've seen the blind man's faith. Quickly, I want to consider the crowd's blindness. Secondly, the crowd's blindness. There is a a strong contrast, isn't there, between this blind man and the crowds. Certainly, the crowds were excited, but they were evidently clueless to who Jesus truly was. Now, they could have described Him to you. They could have told you how tall Jesus was and what He liked to eat and how bushy His beard was. Right? They knew what He looked like, but they didn't know Him. He was to them simply Jesus of Nazareth. If they did know who He was, certainly they would they would not not have kept the blind man from Him. They would have brought the blind man to Him. And even beyond that, they too would have been crying out for mercy. So the, the irony here is that the blind man sees and the disciples, or at least the crowd that's with Jesus, is blind. And and I mention this because how many times have you heard people say, well, if I could have been there with Jesus and I could have seen what He did and experienced His miracles, then I would believe. But what we see in this passage is that many who actually did see it did not believe and others who did not see Him but only heard of Him, like you and I, put our faith in Him. And so this blind man believes, but the crowds are not. And it raises the question why aren't they believing? Are they are they particularly dumb people that they just can't not insightful like the blind man is? I'm not sure that's the answer. I think it might be that the scripture teaches us we are all by nature spiritually blind. These crowds who are following Jesus for a free lunch or to be entertained, the the wealthy who are walking away, the religious and the powerful who are seeking to kill him. They're all blind. That spiritual blindness is common to all of us. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Right? They're blind. And 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 you and I were once blind, and and we therefore depend upon God, just like this blind man, to give us sight, so that we can see Him for who He truly is. I wonder if if you come here this morning, and perhaps you you don't identify yourself as a follower of Christ, as a Christian. Is there is there a chance that you might be spiritually blind? Now I assume you would say you don't think you are spiritually blind, but I, th- that's not my question. My question is, could you open yourself to the op- the, the possibility that you might be spiritually blind? Another way I think to, to ask that question is, is could could you imagine that what you long for, what you desire, what your heart goes after, actually impacts what you are really? Willing to admit is true. Does that make sense? That, that, that I, I, think, I think sometimes our, our self-interest forces us to discolor reality. That many people would much rather believe that Jesus is simply a rabbi or a failed revolutionary than the savior of the world because it fits their own desires. It was Aldous Huxley who said earlier in the 20th century, I don't believe in God because I don't want there to be a God. That's blindness. I think many of us have suffered from it. I think all of us at one time suffered from it. And that we are therefore desperate upon God to remove that blindness from us. And Christians, I want you to understand the world is blind to the Gospel of the glory of Christ. They cannot see it like you can see it. Hating them will not help them see it. Hating the world, despising the world will not help them see it. Yelling at them will not help them see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what will? God will. And so we should faithfully pray in love for those who cannot see Christ, that they too would have their eyes opened as you have had your eyes opened. Consider third, uh, Jesus' identity and so we see the blind man's faith the crowd's blindness lastly i want you to note the identity of our lord jesus christ which is powerfully displayed before us beginning in verse 40 it says here that jesus stopped i want to note that i don't want to pass over that this man frantically screaming the crowd rebuking him right you almost expect this you know security to come and solve this problem like Right? You know, uh, where's the help? But that's not what happened, right? Jesus is not rushed off by secret service with this crazy, yelling, blind man. Quite the contrary. He stops for him. He halts his journey to Jerusalem. Not for a religious man or a Roman soldier or a powerful politician. But he stops for a blind beggar. Right? Because he hears the cry of faith of a needy man. Who is not a nuisance to him, is not a problem to him. If Jesus will not in other words, Jesus won't reject this man like the crowds have rejected him. He always has time to give compassion and mercy and grace. And even now he resides in heaven amidst the praise of saints and angels alike, but he still, even there, hears our cries that you could cry out to him in your hurt. And he hears and responds as we see in verse 40. And he commanded him to be brought to him. I think that's interesting that Jesus doesn't walk up to the man. The man doesn't find his way to Jesus. That Jesus issues a command to the very people who are trying to keep this man from Jesus. He says, you you know, foolish people who are trying to keep him away, I want you now to go get that man and I want you to bring him to me. Mark adds, if you read Mark's account, that the crowd said to the man, Cheer up! (laughs) He is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And I don't know if you can see that image. This man stumbling with the help of others, hurrying to Jesus. And there he stands, his heart pounding, the crowd surrounding, and, and the blind man's gaze being met by Jesus' penetrating look of compassion and power. And it's there he asks him this question in verse 41. What do you want me to do for you? Which is kind of an odd question, isn't it? I mean, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you notice, he's blind, right? It's obvious, isn't it? I think Jesus is plumbing this man's faith. What are you looking for? When, when you ask for mercy, what are you talking about? You want, you want some money? Is that what you mean? You want, a, want a breadcrumb? Like others toss at your feet, is that what you ask for when you ask for mercy? What is it that you think I can do for you? The man responds, knowing that this is no no uh, simply no chari- simply not a charitable man. He says to him in verse forty one he said, "Lord, let me recover my sight He says in desperation and humility, God, I want to see notice um Notice how Jesus responds to him, verse 42. And Jesus said, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. He does this prior to healing him. And the reason I want to point out verse 42, Jesus' announcement of his healing before the healing comes upon him, is that Jesus is now publicly in front of everyone affirming this man's faith. So he wants everyone to hear that why this man is being healed why is he about to receive his sight because of his faith right we all understand it is his faith that has healed him and in fact he says your faith has healed you now for the fourth time in luke's gospel he said it to the woman in the city in luke 8 i believe it was he said it to the hemorrhaging woman he said it to the samaritan leper just a chapter or two ago and now he says it to this blind beggar your faith has healed you the response is found in verse 43 and immediately he recovered his sight no surgery no no bandages no special glasses just a word from god and he can see And for the first time in years, maybe the first time in his life, he sees the city of Roses, Jericho, and he sees Jerusalem rising in the western horizon, and he sees the face of Jesus, and it's all at the Word of Jesus. And I know I've shared this with you before, but let me just share it one more time as we consider the last miracle in Luke's Gospel that Jesus in healing this man is not struggling to do so. He does not roll up his sleeves and say, okay, everybody back up. This is a tough one. He doesn't get out His wand. He does not say, okay, if the Lord wills. He does not pray to God like every prophet would pray prior to healing. He does not call on a higher power because He is the higher power. And the One who spoke this world into existence now commands the creation in this man's eyes to see and creation obeys immediately. Amen? The blind man saw at the Word of Jesus. And Jesus, in healing this man, reveals who He is. His identity. The sign is showing that He is indeed the Son of David. Right? He didn't call this man aside and say, okay, well listen, I'm here to help, but this Son of David business, you're, you're getting carried away. right? Let's not get too excited. You just call me Jesus of Nazareth. No, He affirms what this man has been calling Him by healing Him. He says, you're right. I am the Messiah. And I'm going to show everyone it's true by healing you. By the way, in the Old Testament, you can read it from cover to cover, you will not find a single occasion in which there is a healing of a blind man. And Jesus does it with but a word. As I mentioned, this is the last recorded miracle in Luke's Gospel. As it declares what it says about Jesus. But if I can, if I could just remind you, and I've, we've covered some of this material before, this, this miracle doesn't just tell us about Jesus. It tells us so much more. Uh, the, the, the miracles, as, as I've shared, you know, say, so why, why does Jesus heal people? Right? Why, why does He do that? Why is He going around causing the deaf to hear and the lame to walk and the blind to see, etc.? You, you notice that whenever Jesus acts miraculously... It's never simply this naked display of power. It's never Jesus saying, okay, everybody, I want you to see what I could do. And he flies around a little bit or jumps off a building or picks a boulder over his head. He's not, when in healing, he's not simply flexing his muscles and saying, see how powerful I am. See, the miracles, not only as John calls them, never calls them miracles. He calls them signs. They not only reveal who Jesus is. The miracles remind us of where we have been right that that we're reminded of how the world was when God made it and how God intended the world to be. And so when Jesus feeds the hungry we're reminded that there once was a time when no one was dying of starvation or begging for food. When Jesus stills the storm we're reminded there was once a time when nature was his was our friend and not our enemy. When when Jesus creates wine we're reminded that that life was once a time of celebration and joy. When he heals the blind and cures the sick and raises the dead We're reminded that it was once a time there was no sickness and suffering and death. We're reminded of how the world was before we rebelled against our Creator and broke the world. It's Tim Keller who says, Miracles are not the suspension of natural laws. They are the restoration of natural laws. Death, decay, and suffering suspend God's natural order. Jesus is putting it back together. They remind us of where we have been. And they show us where we're going. I want you to understand this morning, especially if you are suffering in this fallen world, that Jesus is no more happier with the way things are than you are. The only difference is He intends to fix it. He's going to fix it all. And the, the, the reason that we read in Luke's gospel that, that, that heaven is often portrayed as a feast, a place of joy, is that one day we're gonna walk into a place of abundance and, and no suffering and no conflict and no death and no decay. And, and he's showing this when he t- touches the blind and the deaf and the crippled and all the rest who suffer, that one day, just, just a little foretaste that God is gonna end it all. Not only shows us who Jesus is, not only shows us where we've been, but he's showing us where we're going. And lastly, He's teaching us of how we should act along the way. Because if Jesus is not happy with suffering and injustice and disease, then we too must not be happy with it. That we should continue this mercy ministry of Jesus. We should work through ministries like Mosaic, as many of you do, and Tree of Life. And, and many of you will go to Ghana in, in just a couple months to work in the slums of Accra. and uh, uh, Dozens of us will be going up to the Eagle Butte next month to work amongst the, the, the impoverished children of the Cheyenne Indian Reservation that we might bless them and help them. And when we do, we're simply continuing the work of Jesus. Remember when Jesus says, listen, when I leave, you're going to do greater works than I will. Now, he doesn't mean we're going to do more miracles. Even the apostles didn't do that. What he means is when millions of people begin to act like Jesus, we will impact this world far more profoundly than even Jesus did himself. And so we are to act in love and help alleviate suffering. But as we do, we proclaim why we are doing it. Right? As we see, Jesus is always concerned with the faith of the people he's working with. Right? And so we just don't minister to the body We let them know why we are by speaking to the soul of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would grow as a community. Hamilton Baptist Church would be a place of people who seek to help, the hurting, whether they be our neighbors or be in the nations around this world. And as we do, we would share the love of Christ that compels us. This man is is healed as God uh, shows us here. And notice his response in verse 43. It says that he followed him, in glorifying God. Right? He leaves his begging, and he just right, right then and there, he starts following Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't, take time to go home. He doesn't take time to gather his stuff. He doesn't take time to take a shower. Right? And it's just all these people following Jesus, and then, then the stinky former bl- blind guy. He's just going with Jesus right then and right there. Right? Jesus is walking on. And he wants to stick as close to Jesus as possible. See, not only has new eyes, he has a new heart. He is, he is now following after Christ. And as following Him, he begins to praise, right? He begins to, to, to glorify God, right? That's something that you would have seen and heard if you were with him. You would have looked at that man and said, oh, that man is glorifying God, right? That means he's happy. There's joy. There's celebration. We probably wouldn't know what to do with him if he came to Hamilton Baptist Church, right? It's like, oh, settle down, buddy. Uh, but this guy is just, no, I just want to glorify God and no one's going to stop me to do it. This is, I, I, I want to, to let everybody know what God has done in my life. He's changed my life. Do you know Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of David. I was blind. I was there sitting on the roadside trying to guilt some religious people who give me some bed crumbs, And then I met Jesus... And I'll tell you, He gave me sight, and everything in my life has changed. This man is testifying. This man is glorifying. This man is praising the God who has worked in his life. And notice the impact of those around as we end in verse 43. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. They've seen this man there for years. There's no con job, right? Right? This, this is, they too saw what had happened. They know that blind beggar. They know that Jesus can heal, and they begin to praise God for it. And I mentioned to you that I think this man is, has not just received sight, but he's received salvation. I believe that not just because of his, what he's doing. He's following Jesus, praising God. Sounds like a Christian to me. But notice in verse 42, when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, it's literally, made well, it's literally the words for salvation. It's the same word that we always see in the Gospel for salvation. Your faith, can literally be translated, has saved you. And and I, I believe He's saved. I believe you'll meet Him in heaven. In fact, we know His name. If we read Mark's Gospel, Mark names Him. In fact, it's the only time in the Synoptic Gospels where a man is healed by Jesus and also named. Do you know his name? Bartimaeus. That's right. Old blind Bart. Saved by the Lord. Well, why does Mark name him? Could, could it be that the day that Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus, he never stopped? Could it be by the time that Mark got around to write his Gospel a couple decades later that Bartimaeus was a well-known Christian? He was telling the story of a man that many people had known. Could it be as the ancient church tradition records that Bartimaeus became a faithful witness wherever Jesus traveled for the rest of His life. My Christian brothers and sisters, I, I hope you see in this man a reminder of what you know that you're not saved by your morality or even by your insight. You're saved because God has removed your blindness from you. that He took the scales from your eyes so that you could see Jesus. And if that's true, should we therefore not be more like Bartimaeus? Following Jesus closely. Praising God as we go. Sharing with others what He has done. You're going to go out to lunch, aren't you? You're going to take mom out to lunch or do something? Maybe one way you can celebrate Mother's Day is let mom tell all together what God has done in her life. Would that not be a great way? Would that not be very similar to what we see here? Let mom announce maybe salvation or just what God is doing in her life right now. I want you to understand. Give her an opportunity to testify to God that that might create praise for God in our hearts to this one we call Jesus. Not Jesus of Nazareth, of course. We don't call him that often, do we? They call him Jesus of Nazareth because that's the town he's from. They didn't have last names it's either uh, the town, they identify you by your town or by your father. That's why we have Francis of Assisi or Augustine of Hippo or Paul of Tarsus, right? Or, or Jesus of Nazareth. But where he was from is, is not all that important. It, you know what's important is where he's going. And he's headed to Jerusalem. And we know why. He tells us in verse 31. He said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Why? Verse 32 for I will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging being flogged and killed and be raised on the third day. That's why He's going. He's headed to Jerusalem to die that He might pay the debt for sinners. That He might be our sacrifice, that the judgment that was due on me and all who trust in Him would fall upon Jesus and not on ourselves if we put our faith in Him. And so Jesus walks on right perhaps he looks back and sees five miles to the east the Jordan River where it all started three years earlier but I think his gaze is fixed ultimately on where he's going 15 miles ahead in the west up to Jerusalem that's where he goes Bartimaeus goes with him what about you you're going with him wherever he leads right you see your need for him have you cried out for mercy Remember the rich man who came to Jesus just a couple verses earlier and, and he walked away from Jesus sad with nothing and now we have a blind poor man who's walking with Jesus with joy and everything. The only difference between the rich young ruler and this poor blind beggar is that one man saw his need for mercy and the other did not. If you could discover one truth today that would change your life, it would be that you are in need of God's mercy, and that you would cry out to Him, you would not let Him pass you by. He's here today. He's calling you. Don't don't. What, what if Bartimaeus has said, oh, "Oh, I'll call Him next year"? There is no next year. Call to Him even now. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that we can see by Your sovereign and abundant grace in our lives. See Christ for who He is. And because of that, help us to faithfully follow Jesus wherever He might lead. That today would be a day to follow Christ and to glorify God as we do. And for those who are here who perhaps are putting You at arm's length, Father, will You not even in Your kindness to them remove the scales from their eyes That they in faith might see King Jesus and call out to Him for mercy. That even now, right now, Father, there will be one in this room in faith that would despair of their own righteousness and say to You, My God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That they too may be saved. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.